Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Oh, welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. Ah, look at you there, sitting here in that chair in the West Craven Memorial Library. It's almost as if things are normal. Yes. (laughs) Where are you going with it? I don't know. It's just, it is nice when we do it this way and I'm not looking at you through the computer screen. Oh, I know. It reminds me of when we had to do it for that year and a half. Uh, Exactly. But hey, COVID's over, they say. Yeah, apparently. All right. We are super stoked today. This is going to be super fun because we took a fright school field trip to see The Blackening. And we're going to dive deep into that in the second half of the episode. But first, we have a very special guest who came to see the film with us and is going to help us break it down. But first, we're going to have a a lovely conversation with you. Yes, you, the African bearded queen herself, Amber St. James. Welcome to Fright School. Aww. Howdy. How we feeling? How we doing? Feeling excited? Oh my God. She's hosting. She's uh, yes. You know what? You're so right. That's I awesome. don't know why I immediately went into that. I cannot fucking stop myself. I need to go get my bingo card and get my dollar bills out. <laughs> Look, I'm not gonna stop if you want to tip me, baby. <laughs> go for it. In this economy? In this situation? Exactly. In this Beyonce renaissance, how <laughs> will be her name? Because <laughs> I sure did send you that. Oh, that's fine. I, I'll just take the day off. It'll be fun. I'm just going to sit here and watch it. Because I, I think about like when last month when we had Elisa on to talk about the interview of the vampire and it was just like us back and forth. Poor Joe's just sitting there. Like, oh, I know. To contribute to this. Every single time we have a guest who is like a horror person. Mm. It's I. it's like I'm in the wing. I just I'm just watching. I'm watching the two people nerd out. We had Alisa, also known as Mistress Maven of the Eventide, YouTube vampire expert. And she was, I'm still haunted by her. She was, she's right behind you, actually, if you didn't tell. But it was awesome just watching like Joshua and her just like gush over vampires. And we talked about what is it, gay adoption panic of the 90s? Yeah. Oh, what? Oh, baby. Within an interview with the vampire. So, yeah, Yeah. it was very fun. But it's, that's the thing the show is about balance so today you're here to to just kiki with joe exactly (laughs) to do what we do when we're not on this clock we're on a different one exactly (laughs) but no i am very glad that you took time out of your very busy schedule because obviously days booked oh baby literally after this i'm going to go see my drag daughter because she's doing a gig for a kink night which they did originally ask me and i was like okay and then she posted in like our little chat and i was like oh work because i they sure did message me and i did not respond i was like i'm okay but i'll go support you though baby oh that sounds fun where's that gonna be at Uh, the rail all right king night at the rail that makes sense i was like it's not number one Uh, it's not the row look at every bathroom it's a kink night in there There there's a whole lot of shit going on (laughs) that needs a lot of consent moving on Uh uh-huh yes it's okay they're not listening dear listener if you come to san diego yes be careful what bars you wander into and which bathrooms in hillcrest and just google san diego hepatitis a outbreak (laughs) and you'll find every bar yeah oh (laughs) man all right speaking of drag how did you how did you get started in drag what was that journey 
it's so weird because I feel like I've been doing a lot of panels this week because I, I think today, it might have been yesterday, I just did the deconstructing drag where like we would perform, like some of my house members would perform and they would deconstruct their drag. And I literally just had to talk about like how I started in drag. So oh, I've been oh, doing cool. drag for probably like next year, it'll be 10 years, wow. which is fucking wild to me because I'm like, I'm only 27. So like thinking that I've been doing drag that fucking long, I'm like, God, work. <laughs> but it started for me because... Before I'd even gotten into the drags, I always knew there was like something different about myself. The same old, same old, oh my God, I'm different. People are bullying me. Blah. But I would hang out with my grandmother a lot. And every now and then she would be watching Drag Race. And I didn't know what Drag Race was at the time. I would just see all of these glittery, happy queer people that looked very free. And I was like, I want freedom. I want to feel yeah. like excited. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I want to feel excited about life. And I didn't know what this drag thing was. And then it popped right back up. Ooh, excuse me, like years and years later as I was a freshman in college, because there was like a flyer on one of the walls. And I was like, oh, it's like for a drag show. Let me go to this little thing. Like drag keeps popping up. Let's figure out what the hell this is, right? <laughs> Signs so, like, from the universe. Li <laughs> literally, I was like, oh, the queer ancestors, they're working some magic today. And so I go to the show. I see all these amazing performers. I see one of them in particular. That I was like, oh, she really killed it. And then the next day I go to the Pride Center at SDSU because I used to work there. And lo and behold, the same performer that I'd seen on that stage was working the front desk. And I was like, oh, my God, I saw you yesterday. You were amazing. Oh, I saw you, too. I was like, huh, you perceived me? Oh, my God. Ah, my little queer self. And then there we were, like, a few years later, she became my drag mother. And really, she encouraged me to explore my gender identity because she's actually a non-binary non Filipinx, just amazing icon, Lucy La Bruja. I always must speak her name. Okay, yes. say the names. And she really encouraged me to not only get into drags, but like to not feel scared of exploring gender identity, of exploring different pronouns, of exploring having a community. Because I'm not going to say I came from a fully religious background. My mother was figuring out a lot of things with like her religion and a lot of shit. And so it was a very interesting way of growing up where she, it's not that she wasn't in acceptance. It was just like, if you're going to be gay, can you still be regular? Can you still be a human right. being and not be like, you're farting out glitter? And I'm like, here we are now. Sorry. Um, but we're also, <laughs> we also have a much better relationship now where she'll come to shows and stuff like that. She actually oh, was wow. at one of our biggest shows that we had just done, Scream Queens that we had done at UCSD. And it was absolutely fantastic because she had almost invited herself because I had been talking about the show so much. And she was like, oh, what about this? And what about that? And I was like, do you want to come? She's like, oh, I don't know, maybe. I, I, <laughs> let me think about it. I don't even know what to wear. And I was like, girl, girl, it's not that serious. Just wear some clothing and show yeah. up. You'll be fine, <laughs> you right? You'll be on stage. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Because yeah, as a black mother, I also know that there's, a, there's just a lot of things that go on with her. And so here I am now, 10 years later, I now have an entire drag family. There's 17 of us in the entire family. Granted, we're not all currently active performers, yeah. but also I've never been a person that's, oh, you have to like, do drag or be a performer in order to be part of a family because like chosen family is chosen family. Yeah. It just so happens that we all are connected because of the wonderness of drag, mm -hmm. which we could really boil down to they all know me and I inspired a lot of them to be more themselves and authentically, which yeah. was all part of being an overall mother. Yeah. Is that, so you got your start here in California? You grew up in California? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. Born and raised here my entire life. In San Diego? Mm. Oh, wow, very yes, cool. Jeez, a unicorn. I, and I hear you, it all the time. Yeah, it's so rare to meet people who are like, born and raised here, it seems. Oh, yeah, there's many a transplants. And yeah. I find that out every time I get into a lift. And they're like, oh, <laughs> where are you from? I'm like, I'm from San Diego. Oh, my God, I've never met one of you. I was like, hey, the last lift I was in just told me that, too. Y'all Are y'all brothers? What's going on here? Yeah, yeah no, it's a, it's a strange phenomenon. It's like a lot of my friends who form, like, the core group are all from, like, the East Coast. 
And it's like people who grew up here leave, go to the. It's like we mm. swap because it's like you long for the opposite or something. Exactly. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting when people are are from here. So that's great. Good for you. I love that you said your grandmother was watching Drag Race. So oh yeah, that so, was like her thing, and that got you into. Or do you think she was watching because so. she knew? Or no, so I she, she was a very curious woman. Like she was into, <laughs> she could watch anything, and so for her, I think she just enjoyed it because of the competitive and the fashion of it all. So she was not a woman that was very much just like, these are the standards of the world, and you, you must abide by them. She was yeah. just very go with the flow, very easygoing, very loving, very lucky. And I will say, when I did eventually come out to her, like before she passed years and years ago. She was like, oh, no, baby, I knew. And I was like, fuck me. I thought I was doing a good job of hiding this. But OK, I guess everybody knew. So maybe on some level, like it could have been that she watched it because she knew, oh, my my grandchild is going to be one of them. Woo! So wanted House to make sure. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so wanted to make sure like she maybe understood like what part of the community was and things like that. I, I don't know. I can't ask her. Depending on what kind of boards I like to play with, you could ask it. Uh, there's three Ouija boards right yeah. behind you. And yet you I'm know. still going to choose to not do any of that. We just saw a movie, <laughs> and I'm not trying to do none of that. I don't do that. I'm black. Okay. I'm, I'm just putting it out there. We'll get to that. Yes, too. we will. I'll write um, that down. Oh. But I think it definitely was really helpful to have someone that I think always knew that I was queer. And so was there to be that support and not judge me. And also, like, after... When the adults in your life stop asking you about, do you have a girlfriend and they're okay with, I'm focused on school right now. I think we all get that they know what's going on. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's a great story because I think a lot, I guess I should speak for myself. It's when I grew up and came out, it's like everybody was like, we always knew. I'm like, and you still treated me like garbage. (laughs) Katrina. (laughs) That's not really the the win you think you got there, aunt. All those times that you called me a fag, you like, you knew and you you meant meant it. it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Said, oh right. no, I just nah. wanted to let you know what you were. It's like, oh great. So we know so I knew so you knew that I knew that you knew that we both knew that I was a faggot. Fabulous. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Great. Oh man. Childhood trauma keeps us uh, keeps us in business. Exactly. It's gonna keep you rich. That's what's gonna keep you. <laughs> just, it'll oh. keep me about ten minutes after in a meet and greet. We'll remain the same. Because they do love to chop it up on the girl. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> All right. I appreciate I wanted to just get a, a sense of your drag history and where, you've, where you're coming from. Oh, baby, that's a lot. <laughs> so House of St. James, is there any particular... Is there any particular significance or reason by the name St. James? And what's the lineage? Tell us. Ooh. Oh. So it's not like I'm asking the Davenports, like trace, trace your <laughs> well, lineage back. Well, I'm just saying we are quite a legendary family. I mean. Uh, so what it is, because it's very different than like how most drag families are, where it's like you get the name from your drag mother, right? Ironically, it took a lot of years before my drag mother even recognized that she was my drag mother because she didn't know that she was teaching me. She didn't know that like I was claiming her as my mother until I said it on a microphone one time. She's like, oh, I didn't know that's like how you viewed me. I was like, yeah, bitch, you inter- you forced me to like, watch Drag Race because we worked in like the same place, right? And so we would be on the clock watching Drag Race. Because so, bitch, ain't nobody here. There are no students to help right now. Yeah. There are no resources to be giving out. So we'd be watching Drag Race. She would be helping me with some of the shows and stuff like that. And then, like, when she was, like, slowly graduating out, she handed me the entire drag community. I'm like, okay, you can now plan, like, the large-scale shows that we do. And so I'm like, you did all of that, and you didn't think, like, you would be somebody I would consider my mother? But all that aside, the, the St. James last name, or really just how I came to that, the entirety of my name. I used to actually have a YouTube. I have scrubbed the internet. I just want that very clear. I've scrubbed the internet of this, so it cannot be found. <laughs> But I used to have a YouTube channel, a different one than the one that you might be able to find now. Kudos if you can. But I used to have a different YouTube channel when I was in like high school. And she knew how to read the girls down boots. And so I would talk a lot of shit about some of the people that were like mean to me, like the popular people that were like didn't have a life and still don't. 
and I had a character on there and had a character on there by the name of Amber. And so then when I started drag, I was like, I need a fucking name. And I was like, let's go with Amber. That's a name that you're like used to. And then I went with like my actual last name, which is James, right? And I was like, Amber James. I was like, that don't sit right in the mouth. I need something Mm -hmm. else. And at that point, I, not that I had done a lot of research, but I knew enough about like drag culture that I was like, oh, like I want something that's like very reminiscent of like old school drag, like Devereaux or Saint Laurent or Anne Dupree. Those very classy Southern big names. And I was like, I ran down like a list of names and I got to Saint and I was like, ooh, Amber Saint James. Ooh, that just does something tickly in the throat. I love it. Let's do it out. And so that's how I came to create my entire name. And from there, I was like, as I was having daughters and stuff, which was really just friends that I was working with that then had this interest in drag. And I was like, I have a little bit of knowledge. I can share with you what I know. And then it turned into this dynamic that then became mother-daughter, right? Because I was never, I don't think any of my drag family members has ever been like, oh, excuse me, you, I, I want you to become into the drags. It's like, no, we started with a friendship, right? That then evolves into, oh, I didn't realize that you also have this affinity for drag and that you now want to start it. Okay, I have some experience here. Let me help you out. And then it turns into like mother-daughter or yeah. mother-child or mother-sibling. You accidentally built a house. <laughs> yeah. No, in all honesty, that's what ended up happening. I yeah. just accidentally ended up like growing and building and building because so I had cool. more folks that were interested in the world of drag and like specifically saw me as this like model and inspiration and all the other like great words that we want to say, right? And so now here we are like 17 members later. And it sometimes does really baffle me that I'm like, really what it is that there's 17 people in this world that I've touched their lives and they now want to go out and, oh, let me not say touch other people, but they now want to go out and they want to inspire other people. And so that's so wild to me. With consent and context, right? Exactly, exactly. It's it's just your influence. Um, Absolutely. Which is really, again, like it just baffles my mind when I think about, I've been doing this almost 10 years. Like when you think about someone that's been doing an art form like this for as long as this, you usually think of them being much older, right? Not like still in their 20s, but I've learned a lot. And I think that's probably why most people think I'm like 35 when they originally meet me. And I'm like, okay, work. Thank you. I'll take that as you think I'm wise, not you think I'm old and rickety. <laughs> not that 35 is old and rickety. I was going to say, well, yeah, the let's be careful. Girl. <laughs> girl, in the queer community, anything over the age of 25, you, you I know, should that's be what saying, yourself, yeah, I guess. We're fucking queer zombies over here. Yeah, like, oh, absolutely. Like, we living fucking dead. dead. Death becomes her though, okay? So fuck you. Fiercely. That's really in- incredible, though, it, just because we live in this world that does seem very saturated with drag. And there's lots of places you can go to find information. But for people to connect with an actual other human being and <laughs> exactly. kind of have a dialogue about it in a way kind of divorced from drag race exactly. and divorced from like the mainstream culture, which there I don't think we need to with. like. Joe and I over the years have had many conversations about drag race and whether whether it's good or bad for mainstream queer culture, the different ways it operates, the co-opting of our culture, particularly mm-hmm. by very young white women who now know better than we do about mm-hmm. how to be gay. The woo girls. <laughs> exactly. You say the woo girls? Oh, you show up in the club and they go, woo! I'm like, bitch, I just walked in. I will take that $5, but it, stop it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you pay me, but I'm all for that. But yeah, so it's just, it's a very interesting world we're living in. So it's very cool that you've been able to naturally develop these people with a really intimate connection. Mm. So that's very, it's very beautiful. So 17 members total, how many active? Ooh. Um, Sorority, right? How many actives are there? (laughs) So right now there's four core active that people will probably predominantly see, right? So you'll obviously see me. You'll see my drag sister, Lux the Drag Queen. You'll see my niece, Amor Envy. And you'll see my daughter, Lady Blanca. And then... 
I'm not at liberty to talk about some of the other things because there there are a couple of folks and members that we're doing some mentorship with that may somewhere down the line end up joining and stuff like that. But yeah, there's it, it does get wild because a, there's also every now and then like some of some of those members that haven't necessarily been active, like they will reach out. I'm like, oh, if you're left for casting for a show, like definitely let me know. I just was it today? Yes, it was earlier today. I was actually meeting with one of my other drag daughters, Imani Zella who hasn't performed in a really long time, but is wanting to like get a little bit back out there and fill their little feelers again. So while I say that there's like only so many that are active, like it could happen once in a blue moon that like one of them would be like, actually, I do want to perform. And I'm like, okay, down, down boots. Let's get you booked. What do you want to do? We have yeah. many an opportunity for you to jump into. That's yeah. awesome. That's really great. It's really great to be able to carve out a place to provide, to build your own shows and provide yeah. like space for people that aren't people who normally get booked. I exactly. just w- witnessed a whole big conversation on, on, on the old Facebook about this, about who gets booked, who doesn't get booked. Uh. Interesting. <laughs> but we can talk about that <laughs> off of, we can yeah. talk about that off offline, of offline. We want people to continue to have careers. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do. So before we take a break to, to move on to discussing the film du jour, mm-hmm. I did want to talk about your horror life. Yes. Horrific life. Right. <laughs> oh, no, baby. Um, Being black in America, it's always horrific. We, we'll chat about that some more as well in the next segment, I'm sure. But do you remember the first horror movie you ever saw? Ooh, I don't know if I remember like the very first one. Or oh, wait, no, memory, actually, like, yeah. I think the very, very first one that I saw that like I very clearly remember i think was like i think it was called monsters under the bed it was like done by disney don't look, uh, or maybe it was don't look under the bed don't look under the bed or something like that it was the one boogie person yes that where the terrified the was shit out of a me. woman yes yes oh wait no or maybe it wasn't that because i remember it was the boogie person was like they were a black guy there were both so oh the, the it was a white girl who was being haunted by the boogeyman mm-hmm. and someone, the black guy, mm. he was an imaginary friend. Yes, who then became, yes, and, who then became, And the yeah. reason why the, you get boogie people because they're, they become boogie people if you forget that they're imaginary friends. Which, I mean, yeah. of course, white girl has, yeah. they have their sidekick black friend and then they start to acclimate in the world and then somehow they just forget them. That's so weird how that wow. happens. Wow. I was so... That's super deep. I love it. So we always joke on the show that like we overcomplicate horror and I was just about to say how beautiful and awesome it is that your root, right, of horror is this movie where the entire, the gag of the movie is that you think that the boogeyman is a man and at the end you realize that it's the white girl's like imaginary friend who is a white woman and the whole thing at the end is like boogie person it's almost as if gender is a construct God. <laughs> and it's almost like it tore my shit apart yeah wow. <laughs> that was when grandma was like baby exactly yes i've never heard of this movie surprise surprise because oh my god you should watch it it's quite good it's also quite fucking scary for disney but also it was like old school disney so the rules were a little different Uh, back then about what they could and couldn't do i'm gonna look it up i'm gonna find it disney's halloween horror as for as light as it was still like it's probably some of their better films Mm -hmm. yeah everything that is that they put out in october halloween those are usually the ones that I remember. That you like, yeah. Well, or except remember. for the ones that have, like, a cute white guy. That's me decolonizing. That's me on my decolonization. That pussy. <laughs> wow. Do you remember some of your favorites, like, growing up or ones you returned to? Like, horror movies that you enjoy? Mm. To be entirely honest, I... And I know this is a shocker because I'm on this podcast. 
I'm not really a big like horror kind of gal. Like honestly, it's probably not till like more recently, yeah. which is really just because of like my drag sister Lux. Because we don't get she, so, horror. No. Yeah. I've been watching more horror things, but like I, for me, I don't do it only because like with my ADHD, I know I have an like overactive imagination. <laughs> so even though I will know for no shadow of a doubt there is nothing in that corner, but I'm also like it is pitch black darkness, and my brain says there is something in that corner, bitch. <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you, it's gonna be whatever the fuck little movie I just saw. It's gonna be that demon, even though I know it's not real. It told me it was not based on nothing true, but I'm gonna keep seeing that demon in that corner. So I'm like, <laughs> I just I try not to test it. I try not to tempt fate like that. But I think the ones that I do enjoy rewatching now are definitely more thriller yeah. than like horror. So thriller um, is looking at what is it? Stepford Housewives. Like that, oh, yeah, kind, the of, that kind of realm. Love the that does it for me. Yeah. That or like very comedy based. So the scary movies. Yeah. That does it for me, even though like they're not necessarily scary at all. But I'm also like, I live for a little, ooh, stab me. Ooh, you gonna kill me? Very much, very much yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. That and then also definitely a lot of like what Jordan Peele is doing. I live for a horror that isn't so much like the gore of it, but yeah. that's like very actual realism of this mm-hmm. is a horrific thing that is happening in this world. Yes. And that should be the most scary thing to you because I'm like, oh no, that truly is, because I get up every day and that actually is my reality. Yeah, no, I mean we definitely stand that kind of horror on the show for sure. Yeah, that is always the conversation. It's very interesting that for so long you've had like white people dominating stories of horror of I got in my car and I drove down the street and like mm. somebody tried to kill me. And it's like, mm. yeah, that was Tuesday. Like exactly. <laughs> for certain folks in the world so it's yeah i really like the attention like this kind of social justice horror Mm. conversation Mm. that we've been having yeah so that makes sense scary yeah it's scary movie the again that that makes a lot of sense especially given that we watch the blackening exactly 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 (laughs) all right then with that we will take a really quick break and we will be back to discuss this year's the blackening Hello there. I didn't see you come in. I'm Shane O'Hare of the Geekscape Games Podcast, the number one video game podcast on the Geekscape.network. Join myself, Derek Krenevelt, and a guest every fortnight as we discuss video game news, video game reviews, and dissections. That's Geekscape Games every two weeks on Geekscape.net. All right, welcome back. So today we had the distinct pleasure of going out to a theater. <laughs> we saw a movie in a movie theater. Imagine we came to that. that place for magic, and all we, we got was black duck. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so we did see the blackening, which I, th- I guess, it's officially released in the wide release on in twenty twenty three. But it saw its first screening at the Toronto International Film Festival last September. So it's officially a, a place 2022. To, yes, Toronto, Canada. Right. Yeah. Great, for Drake's the from there. And that's that yeah, that's the context. Drake is from Canada. Wow. No, Drake specifically is Toronto. Toronto. Yes. I think they would definitely be having an argument about how black Drake is, right? That would be a thing. There'd be an argument film. that he was black? Right. For context, dear listener, there that a big part of the film is discussing being black enough. Yes. <laughs> so I, that wasn't just a wild, insane thing I just Who said. Who is the blackest among Who you? is the blackest? So, yes, we've got The Blackening. It says it's a 2022 film, but again, released wide this year, June 16th, actually. 
It's a comedy horror film directed by Tim Story and written by Tracy Oliver and Dwayne Perkins, who also stars as one of the one of the characters. Dwayne, Dwayne yeah. the Wait, gay. I'm learning new things. I didn't are, know that he was a writer on this too. Yes, yes, it's his. Uh, That's why I was his. like, he ain't gonna die. <laughs> We've got, oh, and it was also, again, based on a short film, which you talked a little bit about. Did you actually see that? I've not yeah. seen it. Okay. I, had I, to, like, I saw it, it and I remember seeing it and then, you know, how the internet do, two weeks later, seeing something where it's like, they're turning this short film that yeah. was like a Comedy Central app, like, short. Yeah. And it's literally the scene where they're talking about who's the blackest. It's that scene. Okay. But there's oh, more word. of them. There's It's like a room of eight people. Okay. And they're Fears. just firing off like all the things, which I'm like, again, I very much identify as like, I would be invited to the cookout, but I probably wouldn't go. I would probably ask for a plate. Someone please bring me a plate later. <laughs> Not you said, so someone go bring me some takeout, right? A little. I would go and be like, hi, everyone. Shake everyone's hands. I go to the make myself a plate. And like, I'm thank you, but I'm not. Thank you. I appreciate you. Leave five bucks on the table. Maybe more. Yeah, I was like, baby, because if you're going yeah. to the cookout, you know damn well. That was not cheap. I mean, it did come from Ralph's, but he, that was not cheap. <laughs> wow. Tatis out of the loans, like five dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so the blackening, back to the blackening. Very very standard horror setup. Group of friends go to a cabin in the woods. And what happens? Joe, what did you think, as always? We start with Joe's opinion. What did you think of the blackening? I don't feel comfortable being the first person to talk about the blackening. You have to. But that's, I that's the. And that's, if you didn't like it, then get out. Yeah, I'm going to get out. No, I loved it. I think we were like maybe five or ten minutes in, Joshua, and you looked over at me and were like, this is the best movie of the year. <laughs> and I came on this podcast and talked about how I was like, Megan is the best movie of the year. Oh, she, and yes, she, for Megan the dolls. Yes. For the dolls. Megan was the gayest, queerest movie of the year, but I firmly believe that The Blackening is probably the best movie that I've seen so far. It's yeah. also like I'm on this trip this summer of having of going to the movies and I keep calling it fun is back at the movies. Okay. And so the blackening is on my list because it was just a fun, raucous, good time. Uh, okay. Like right. Barbie. Miss Jane Lynch here. Miss, funner. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I guess I'm the mayor of funner, California. <laughs> Oppenheimer about the atomic bomb that's coming out the same day as Barbie. Like it's, that's not. Yeah. Those are all. definitely the same thing. Yeah. Definitely mm -hmm. the same. But fun is back. And this is like a great way to kick off my like slate of big fun summer movies. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say. I would watch this again. I kind of want to watch this again because there were definitely parts where I'm, I missed it. I made you miss it. I, was I know. To yeah. You. Yeah. You look like you were going to, you look like you made me miss a joke. Uh, yeah, because I we miss a few jokes because Joe's so proud of himself for recognizing different things, and it that's from like this movie, right? Is her hair the same as? Um, no, it's not. But Watch the a movie. little Easter egg moment. <laughs> yeah. like, that's why they it do was. that. Yeah, like, definitely. There was a yeah, there was like definitely in the gas station. I was like, oh my god, that's the beginning of Pumpkinhead, and I looked at Joshua. <laughs> yes, teacher. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm a pleasure to have in class. <laughs> way more. Would you like a star? Yes. When she called him, oh, I see you, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm like, exactly. That's we're getting it. Like we're. They firmly knew what this movie was in 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 putting it together. Miss mm -hmm. St. James. Yeah. What did you think of it? I thought it was shit. I thought it was terrible. No, I'm joking. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I thought it was really good. I will say, though, I think, like, in, in what I was seeing in a lot of the trailers and stuff like that, I was expecting it to almost be, like, a get-out version mm. kind of situation. And so I was like, okay, not super keen on that. The only because I was like, I want it. Like, I do... 
I like that Jordan Peele has created this new genre, but I'm also like, I don't want to see people copy paste and do their own version. I was like, no, I mm-hmm. want to see if you're going to do it in that genre, then I want you to do your own take on that. Not, oh, this is our version of that versus, right. oh, we were inspired by. And so I think actually getting to see it, it was much better than the trailers really led it to, led me to believe. But I will say, contrary to what everybody believes, I do think it was a really great, but I also think that there were some moments that like, I would have liked to seen even more from, especially if you're going to be like, your claim to fame or the unspoken claim to flame is that claim to flame claim <laughs> to fame That's something yeah. there was a flamer in it claim to fame is going to be that you like are this like black horror movie there were like some unspoken black things that i really wanted to seek for instance like a lot of the tropes that they fell into i was like oh i would have loved to seen something very meta about y'all deciding not to do that and it's because that's exactly what would have happened in a white lens of a black fucking horror film mm-hmm. right so i'm like oh if you're gonna do like a black horror film then i want to see you like challenge each of these tro- each of the tropes and challenge even some of the unspoken like for instance they were like when I kept, when I, because I was talking to you about the fucking car, I was like, y'all are in a car that actively does not have pop tires. You could drive off. Right. And you know damn well, every black person that went to go see a movie like that where there's white people, we're going to talk about, they were in a fucking, they were in a car that was not broke down. Why the fuck didn't they drive off and the movie could have been done? Right. Why did y'all not do that? There could have been an entire <laughs> funny moment where y'all drove off. You thought you got away. You're like, aha, bitch, you thought you got me and you didn't. And then he pops your tires. So that way you're still, you can still get the length that you like the film itself from a logistical standpoint. But still be able to not play into all of the things that you usually see in like a white lensed black film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a good point. Again, I think I'd have to go back and I I, def- I really wanted to turn around and just get another ticket and watch it again immediately. Because yes, it was yes. so funny. I laughed so hard through a lot of it. Although I will say the laughs went down in the end part. Mm-hmm. As it gets more serious. Yeah. Okay, we need to resolve this now. We're uh, and, a little too long in the world. And get to the, get to like kind of the horror elements, which again, this is definitely firmly horror comedy. Oh, so yes, it's yes, not yes, trying yes. to really be, there were some tense moments mm-hmm. and they're playing in that arena mm. but it's not meant to be like viciously horrifying yes, which i think that that may have been one of the other things that played into it is that again like the trailer itself and specifically because of like the imagery that they were utilizing with the sambo and like the mask and stuff like that like yeah it really it for me conjured up this feeling of oh they're going to talk on like some intergenerational trauma stuff that's gonna have some humor sprinkled in sprinkled, sprinkled. but then when we didn't really get that i was like oh okay, now I have to shift my lens of even what I'm going into this film expecting because Mm. we didn't get this like giant storyline about why specifically Sambo. It just was like, oh, these two redneck brothers. Okay, sure. Even though this is quite intricate and I would like to know a little bit more plot about why the fuck that happened. But I still did enjoy the actual plot that we got to have that was more so about what is it that makes somebody black and this whole subjectivity of what blackness is and who gets to redefine that. So I did love that, but I was like, it's very starkly different than what they promoted versus what we got. Yes. Which again, it's about getting people in the room, right? It's got people in the room to to see it. To your point earlier about taking the tropes mm. like when they're talking to i want to say allison is her name but or whoever the the woman is with the, the green dress the harriet tubman shirt oh yes yeah, yes we, they were just like they were rosa like, parks no. yeah rosa parks thank you i'm sorry <laughs> different yes fighter. different freedom all she, yes she so like as they make a joke about her like sitting <laughs> down <laughs> but there was a moment where they were just like don't say it don't mm. say we need to split up which is not necessarily a white lens thing it's more of a horror movie trope yeah yeah which that i I enjoyed i was like oh okay this is the thing that you would see in there yeah but it i being in black spaces that i'm like we know there are certain things we just not about to fucking do and so to see them do that i was like oh that's funny because they are playing on this like 
they're playing on this unspoken discourse that we know Black folks are having around horror. That it's, oh, if it were me, we're not going to be doing all that because I'm not going to be split. You just, I want to say, but I don't know that y'all know that because to the best of my knowledge, y'all don't identify as Black and you don't look Black. But also, <laughs> I'm not, the sub- I don't get to decide the subjectivity of people's Blackness. I don't know your DNA. No, that, beautiful. Yes, that was lovely. <laughs> but also correct, yes. So not, correct, we, not, neither of us not, identify Yeah, exactly. Black. Just uh, because of our horror knowledge, mm. especially with Miss Robin over here with Horror Noir and the documentary that they made. I have the book. Joe watched the movie. It's a thing on this podcast that I do not read <laughs> books. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, you don't so, read? Gage, I heard you read somebody down. Oh, I read. Oh, but yeah, I she, don't read books. Yes. <laughs> but we... So we engage a lot in the the discourse around like queer horror, black mm. horror, feminist horror, yeah. at least talking about it, talking about it. So definitely familiar with these ideologies mm. and conversations about especially that don't go in there. You know, like mm. in the Candyman reboot where yeah. she looks down the stairs and is like, nope, and slams the door. Exactly. exactly. Cuz yes. you're like, "Oh, I know exactly what you're playing on right there." Yeah. yeah. Yes, get away from there cuz that's how I feel. It's like people walk, "No, don't open that fucking door." Yeah. Leave. One of my mom then the movie's critiques, over. But I would keep looking over to Joe and go, "No, they ain't got no they ain't got no lights." Right. No, like, nobody wants to turn on that one goddamn light. Yeah. You y'all want to continue to actively walk yeah. down fucking dark hallways? Yeah. Flip a light on, bitch. Uh, my yeah. mom is a my mom's a retired forensic scientist, and so every time we watched CSI, she'd be like, they don't want to turn on the lights. They don't turn on the lights. They need a flashlight. The, the box doesn't work. And I'm like, no. And then you even said it too. It's like the lights went out. Did no one seek to go outside? No exactly. Go outside, no, we're going to continue deeper into this dark fucking house. Back into this room that y'all know is a problem. Yes. Like d- just different things that I was like, girl, now where were we thinking? Where were we thinking? Yeah. <laughs> and black people wrote this. So we can't blame it. See, that's the other See. thing. We can't blame it on a white lens. No. Because black. But again, it's also... It's as it's also investigating and working within tropes of horror, mm-hmm. and there is inherent whiteness in like the idi- the idiocy of the fantasy. There, you yeah, because the film. Oh, first of all, on the lighting, one like modern cinema in general is mm-hmm. so fucking dark, and then it's like on top of it being like a horror movie where they're all in the. Dark. I'm like, I cannot see anything. Yeah. I can't wait to check Roxane Gay's Twitter <laughs> about this movie. Because I feel like she's going to have something to say about the lights. Because she always, she's, nobody has any money for light lighting anymore. Like everything, you can't see anything. So for me, the film was like. <laughs> and especially with a cast of an all black cast, like they was the cinematographer from like Insecure Busy. Like you got Yvonne Orji. <laughs> well, like, exactly. You, Said you couldn't just call up Issa real quick. Yeah. Be like, Issa, your girl Molly in this. Like where Molly had good lighting. We were, cri- <laughs> we were criticizing the Food Network for that recently because it's clear that they don't know how to light the people who are not white white not rachel ray yeah. they know how to light the <laughs> orange <laughs> who is that minutes. person there in the shadows what is happening no but so back to your point what i enjoyed is this again this is a very classic like horror movie mm. from like the 80s kind of thing which i feel is where this conversation probably yeah i would say probably in the 80s that conversation really started where it's old. Oh, Black people always die first. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like horror films you could point to, especially from the 70s and 80s where, you know, and obviously even before that, but I feel like we became aware. So when you have a movie like this, that's like Friday the 13th or April Fool's Day, mm-hmm. kind of reminding me of that or Cabin in the Woods, Evil Dead, that kind of thing where it's like a group of friends going to go to a cabin in the woods. Why would you do that? Already a problem. And even the little died rich Bader at the beginning, Diedrich Bader, who plays the yeah. Officer White or, or Park Ranger White. Oh, we don't usually, they don't usually rent to people who aren't, and they're like 
families. They're white families. And it's, yeah, that makes sense. Usually this is a very white construct for a horror film. Yeah. So it's, ah, they're really doing something smart and twisting that whole, con- that mm. idea. It just, it, it, that's the thing though. Okay, so. What I was also wondering about in watching this, curious about your thoughts. When we watched, what was that gay movie, the New Year's Eve? Oh, we watched this Um, movie from Hulu called New Year's Kiss. Yeah, New Year's Kiss. Yeah. Where they were, it was gay friends in a Airbnb in Palm Springs. Oh. And one by one, they're getting picked off by a mass killer. Okay. Yeah. It's actually pretty fun, but. It's. But again, when we talk about it, when we talk about queer people making films, and then it's okay. Are they falling into the tropes and doing things that are like, you could have pushed it, or is it like, we're being like super, super meta? It's like meta. We Mm. are aware this is the worst choice. But we're still doing it. But we're doing it. So I was watching this kind of wondering, like thinking about that. So like, how deep do I want to think about this film to a degree? Because like your point is valid because the audience that's going to go and see this film we're gonna watch it like through a horror lens or probably gonna say juneteenth lens uh, yes they knew what they were doing like the entire premise of it is that they're going there for juneteenth and it's also like coming out during juneteenth yeah no you know who's gonna be sitting in that audience yeah it feels like it's very aware so i feel like those choices can't be accidental to no drive away so why didn't they drive away why did they open the door and go down there why did you know So it just made me kind of wonder. So I'm just curious about reflections on that. It could be super meta in that the people who made it know that it's going to be a black audience and it's a mostly black audience that's going to see this. And it's going to be that thing of they are, no, why are you doing it? Because they know that it's going to facilitate that. So it's just like you can't, if we're smart about it. take that away. Yeah. Do we take that away? I remember... So Joshua, listeners know this, but Joshua is not a person who likes to watch a movie during primetime. It's always got to be in the daylight. Mm. And we did a double feature in the early days of this podcast where we saw some bullshit movie that no one cares about. And then we saw opening weekend black get out. And we wa- it was in a full, like the theater was crowded. Oh, it, it was packed. It was yeah. packed. Joshua was like, what the fuck? There's so many people here. And the thing about that experience, though, was it was the audience that um, the audience that got it. And and I wish Jordan Peele could have been there to see it because it was just beautiful how like it was a horror audience. And it was an it, it was people who understood all of the microaggressions and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like knowing that it's going to be these people are going to come. Black people are going to come to this place for magic. These people. I know. I was like, I'm trying not to. That Knowing that. People of color, colored yeah. people. People of the global majority. <laughs> wow. Don't put words in my mouth. I said what I said. But they. I was talking to you, not to you. I would never. Never mother. <laughs> Telling the white guy she's a racist. Yeah. So, oh. so I'm kidding. <laughs> we'll see if I feel like that should make it in the edit. I know, right? But blame it on the edit. Blame it. Because <laughs> you do the editing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, but uh, to say that. Would they want to take that experience away? Mm -hmm. Of not only like curating what you're seeing on the screen, but also curating what's happening in the space itself. We also know that that is part of the Black experience is to talk at the movie, to talk at it and have reactions that you're not like, oh, I'll save this for after. No, this is part of the whole experience. So one needs to not take that Especially in horror. Right. But I don't know. Like part of me is I feel like there's so many other there's so many other movies and things and stuff that already do that. I'm like, why, why would we continue to beat that dead horse? If we're also going to, if we're going to 
be so bold as to take our own take, if you will, on this kind of genre, on this yeah. kind of film and whatnot, then why not also push that boundary, right? Like, why choose to then, at that point, yeah. not still do your own take on it, right? Yeah. Because then it, it can still facilitate that kind of response and that kind of engagement and that kind of space that you're curating. It's just about something different now, right? It's not yeah. just, like, oh, yeah. don't go in there. Now it's, like, oh, I'm so glad they didn't fucking go in there because, bitch, you damn sure would not have been, like, you still get the fucking response yeah. that you're looking for. No, that's true. And I like the idea of them driving away and then mm-hmm. thinking they got away and then getting shot off the road or something because exactly, you still get navigate that space Mm. and we are discussing like horror films which to some degree have to have a formula like things have to happen in order to have a film because you're right if we all just got in the car and drove away it's over Uh, it's a five minute movie we didn't go in the house we didn't open the door we didn't walk down the dark stairs we went home (laughs) yeah we were just a group of fans Uh, we saw the woods the woods were scary so we went home yeah we saw the the movie the second we saw that white cop bothering our friends we left there we go Movie over that, which actually maybe somebody should try to do that. Could be like the best stunt ever. Oh, absolutely! Now that I would live for, if not that like the whole movie is only five minutes, but like (laughs) what is promoted is that you're going to get the storyline, and then you don't get that, and it's a completely different film that can still dive into the horror, that can still have. Because I think one of the things that I really enjoyed about Get Out and stuff like that was that like while it was this like basically I think to pare down as you had said like the microaggressions, like the small things that I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is something that like. I'm catching because I lived this. Not yeah. like specifically like that, right? Black in America and knowing some of those like just realistic horrors of just existing. I'm like, now that I would love to see like more of that where it's very subtle, but it's like, if you get it, oh bitch, you get it. Because like, for instance, at the end of that film, that was probably the most terrifying thing, right? Is that through all of this, you're like, oh my God, he's fucking going to get shot by a goddamn cop. Only for yeah. it to be his right. friend. So it's like those things where you're like, you know that the horror is in what you assume is about to happen yeah. because it is what you see all the time. Yeah. And that, yeah. Yeah. And there, we got moments of it too mm-hmm. in the film. Like we got the moment where the ranger shows up and they drop everything and they exactly. shoot their hands. Mm-hmm. Or you have Lise who's using the candlestick to bludgeon the guy to death and being like, why do black women got to save people? Mm-hmm. And that's something where it's, yeah, I understand that discourse because I try to I understand that discourse because I'm around folks who engage in that discourse, engage in that discourse. But if I did not know that was a thing, like this would just be like, it would be a horrific scene. Mm. And I, you have to really understand the culture and the nuance to get why certain things are funny. Mm. And that's why. And I think that if you saw, if like a white person who could live completely isolated, who did not have any conception of black culture, struggle, whatever, Mm. watch this, they probably think it was pretty horrifying. Yeah. And maybe not funny at all and would probably feel a way about laughing at certain things, but mm. not know why. Yeah. That's just white fragility. But hey, <laughs> okay. yeah, that'd be yeah, that yeah, that would be interesting. I did really appreciate how, yeah, there are like lovely little hints at conversations about colorism. Yes. And and again, that conversation of what is black enough, what is queer enough, mm. what is all of these things that we have, the, all the conversations that. A lot of us that are part of these like subcultures Mm. in society are always having to have in response to this idea of what normal is, which Mm. is usually cis white male of a certain financial privilege, right? Mm. That's what society says. That's who's for so long has defined Mm. normality. So we're all in this conversation of like proximity to that. Mm -hmm. And I, so it's, yeah, I thought there were some really interesting hints at that. And also the idea, because it, 
first, I don't, I have mixed feelings about giving too much away. I don't want to spoil, spoil, spoil the film because it's, this is going to come out. I, mean, I guess this will be. By yeah. that point, they've had the time. By that if point, you've had a few. Twitter. You've had a few weeks. Are you saying that maybe they're anti-black if they have not? Right. Ex- that's film? exactly what I'm saying. Exactly. I'm like preparing myself for the the backlash. It's like one of those things where as soon as I see like the picture of the journalist writing about this, I'll know if I want to read what they have to say. Yeah. But that's a whole other racist imagery in movie. But it's the blackening and right. It's, yeah. That was the scariest part of the whole thing. It was just like, oh, fuck, Sambo. You. Yeah. Yes, that yeah, that was very scary. And the masks that they use were very creepy, very twisted, like The Collector, if you've seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very horrifying. But I thought there was also a really interesting kind of conversation at play when you think you know who the villain is, especially as like, in the movie, it's, oh, clearly these white guys are mm. the enemy. And they're yep. making black people play a game against each other about mm-hmm. who's more or less black and Let me and figure out who it really is it changes how you viewed the entire movie and the yes entire that's when you realize that again that this really reminded me of april fool's day or these movies from the 80s where it's oh this is a i know what you did last summer kind of thing mm. where it's oh so we're not here because of not necessarily because of yeah. white people mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a weird it's a weird twist, but in watching the film, you're I was also I was just thinking about that, like how we're all forced to play these games against each other for survival that from oppressive institutions. Mm. Again, to just to overcomplicate this film as much as possible. It, and it's like the invisible hand that guides it. So we, when you get these conversations about black on black crime or mm. these things that are like, this is not that's not what the, we're here. The problem you think this is not the conversation. So I just there was a lot in it that. That I was like, oh, wow, that is really smart. And then the peppering in without like really explaining of like black culture points of view, especially from the 80s and 90s in particular, because that feels very much who's writing this. Mm. So getting those conversations about friends, getting conversations about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yes, Black on Viv. Um, Yes, that was brilliant. The little poetic justice Mm. moment. I was like, oh, this... It's very smart. It's there. There is just a lot of cool things in this movie that are, that really work. But now yeah, the, that's also part of them knowing exactly who their audience yeah. is. They're like, oh, they, these are going to be the Easter eggs that they're going to get. Yeah, and be like, oh, I love that they made that reference. Uh-huh. Like the the patty cake, right from the color purple. I was like, oh, I, uh, I know that that was it there, not the color purple. I loved, and those are the things no, that, that was you, a- you don't typically quick, yeah. see. But it's like when yeah. you see it and you get it, you're like, oh, this yeah. it just feels like home in a place like this. Yes, yes. and like yeah. the mind reading gag of they can all read each other's minds mm-hmm. by a look, and I'm like, Negro. <laughs> it's also. It also harkens back to the Stephen King trope of having some sort of supernatural stuff. Right. Like I'm thinking about Dreamcatcher or The Shining or anything like that where there's that supernatural element. Yeah, and how much you were supposed to take that seriously. Are they really reading each other's mind or is it supposed to just be like, I convey so much in a look because we've been taught oh, see, that's, to. See, that's what it gave for me is yeah. that it's it very much played on the like black culture thing of, oh, bitch, black person to black person you know what certain faces you know exactly what they're communicating like it's very much yeah. like when you see that meme of oh like i could say bitch 30 different ways and they mean 30 different things right, but right. saying that from like black person to black person and so i for me that's what it was communicating to me was like oh this is no different than if i'm sitting up here and i'm kiki and with another black queen and like i give her a certain face she knows exactly what i mean right she knows exactly what i'm saying and i ain't got to say another word yeah. yeah and so that's what it gave for me when they were doing that but what i did what I really enjoyed was how at the near the end that like that communication 
was not just for the women because I was also like, yeah. I also know like how gay black men play into a lot of that, right? And so to yeah. see like the black guys be able to do that as well, I was like, now this I live for. This I live yeah. for. Because yeah. because again, it becomes about survival and knowing and not be not being able to be explicit about things and safety. Mm-hmm. So there's many times where I'd look at Joshua when we're or I even looked at you, Amber, and being like, Exactly. Did we all hear that? I'm like, okay, yeah, we heard yeah. that. Exactly. Again, we these things translate across like subcultures that are oppressed because you mm-hmm. do, you have to learn ways to communicate mm-hmm. that are not that can't be verbal because you do have to be like, we need to get the fuck out of here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there's been many a time where you get that. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I like that there's a com- there's a bigger conversation happening uh, in this film than even just like the blackening of it all, mm-hmm. <laughs> just about what it means to survive in a world that you're not supposed to be able to survive in that is designed for you not to win a game that is made for you not to win speaking of games i have to bring this up because you know this for sure so one of the things i grew up playing spades okay i'm not claiming that i'm the blackest person in the room okay (laughs) yes she is well i mean do you want to die that's on you baby (laughs) in this film in this film, yes, but I grew up playing spades, but I did not know until actually until maybe two years ago that it was like a game that is like a cultural artifact for the black community. Mm. I had no idea. And it's been so fascinating replaying like even my own experience of learning the game and how it all came about. And it's so funny because there are people, people from Guam, like my family, like I have certain family members that know that, but it's not really, it was never a thing. It was just like, oh yeah, you know how to play a game. We like to play cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It wasn't like, oh, you know how to play spades. You just know how to play one of those like card games that we play. Exactly. Right. But spades is special for me because it's a game that I play with. I have two sisters, but my older sister's on Guam. So me and my younger sister play with my dad and my mom and I'm my mom and I are partners. My my younger sister and my dad are partners. And it's very much a thing like all of that stuff. And I just remember thinking like, oh, my God, like I can't I'm so curious as to why this is a thing. And I will make sure that Joshua has the link for this. So there was this online magazine called The Pudding that released a really cool visual article journalistic piece specifically about spades in the black community and how it came about and why like investigating its origins as like being a part of the black community oh wow coolest thing that they did was that they turned that entire essay into or piece into a deck of cards and i'm like so you can play spades with so you an article about spades, spades. oh i exactly. live the meta of that's it all. amazing but i just remember thinking like oh my god this is amazing and the thing is, though, is that it do get competitive like that, though. Oh, yeah. I've never played Space and I don't know how, but I've seen it many a times and it, ooh, child. And I always <laughs> wonder, I'm so curious as to if I was to ever have the, ever be invited to play with- um, At the cookout? No, I didn't say the cookout. I didn't say I ain't coming to the cookout. But if they, if I just happened to be with friends at home and they wanted to have play Spades mm. and they invited me and I would say yes- and then just give them money and we just play for fun. Just give them money. Yes. We just go. Well, I'm just keep digging this. We just uh, go right over that one. Wow. Huh. What? We'll see if that makes it in the edit too. But uh, maybe it will because accountability. But you're, you just gave Amber a look like accountability, buddy. Yeah. 
but look. Oh no, not that. Maybe that's maybe Girl, this, we got to get out of here. I know that yeah. Yeah. We need to leave leave Joe the blackest and get out of this room. <laughs> no, that's not the name of this episode. Is Joe the blackest? But I'm gonna change it. All of that to say is I'm so curious as to what the nuances of other people's way that they play the same game that I've played my entire life. Right. Like I've heard. My sister was in the, my youngest was in the military, and so she played often when she was deployed with other folks. Not predominant, not necessarily like one race or the other, but no. just like ways of hearing how the same game is played. Mm-hmm. And that to me is fascinating because it's it's it like you play this way, you play that way, and is it more fun another way? Mm-hmm. And as someone who like loves playing, very much empathizes with one of the characters that loves playing games because games are easy to figure out. I'm so curious as to what the nuances are with that. So I just had to go off a little bit on spades. Hey. Uh, pop off. Yeah. Pop off, queen. <laughs> Joe, our beautiful Nigerian queen, queen, apparently. Oh, what you mean? She's not Nigerian. She's South African. They right. make them in different okay. colors. All right. Yes. There we go. <laughs> Lord. No. So we've had an episode called Joe the Witch, and now we have Joe the Black. I love that. No. Yes, you can. Don't think it's like Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> wow. I'm kidding. As as much as for the joke, for the vibe, I would do that. I would like, like we would get it's like we're Joe the Savior. We're <laughs> Fright School is done now. It's over. So welcome to no. the absolute series finale. <laughs> yes. yes. Great. Brought down. She, she came and she brought us down. <laughs> our dear listener, that was our discussion of the blackening. You have to go and see it. Go and see it. Go see this movie. Spend some money. Get you some popcorn. See it with a big audience. I definitely agree that I do. I am very much. I like to have the theater myself. I'm that kind of person. But she likes an exclusive experience. Yes. But with horror, it is way more fun with an audience. Like other people were laughing. Other people were talking. It mm. wasn't just us. Usually I'm like, oh, my God. Like we're talking so much. Uh, oh, maybe I'll this walk into a like, I could give this a shit who the hell else is up there. Because I'm going to have, I paid to have a good time. So yeah. I'm going to talk at this movie. But the whole, like the whole audience was like that. Everybody was like laughing and getting it. And it was just such a fun experience. When we so see go and other do it. Movies, when we see other movies and we're sitting through the trailers. And Joshua, to me, it sounds like full volume, but Joshua will look at me and be like, I'm not seeing that. What? I get, no, I'm like, no, not seeing that. I'm not paying for that. That's my favorite. Pass. <laughs> or the worst is, you're going to see that, aren't you? And I'm yeah. like, yes, I will. But again, this movie, because of, we know it's a comedy, we know that like, it's going to be a fun time. Yes. I was like, yeah, let's let it all hang out. Yeah, it was a blast. And I'm so glad that you came with us. I'm so glad you wanted to see this and to chat about it. Miss Amber St. James, African bearded queen. Yeah. I just, I love it. It makes African bearded queen. It sounds like some kind of uh, a palmate, like a Jerry curl. They <laughs> some kind of like fabulous, like lizard who might, uh, where are you going? Will be very beautiful, <laughs> very beautiful, but may like strike, deadly strike. Yeah. Also- <laughs> exactly. That I don't think I've ever heard anybody describe it like that, but I live. I am just the most fabulous lizard you ever did see. I am a I lizard person. This I wish I was a out. lizard, like with a frill. <laughs> Anyways, I want to be and that lizard Park. that kills it. Wayne in Jurassic Park. What's that guy's name? Oh, yes. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. The fat guy. He was on he the couldn't trip. Run away. <laughs> he was on. As a fat person with glasses, that scene is terrifying. That scene is the root of my trauma. Oh, I'm sorry to bring this up, Joe. <laughs> it's um, okay. We're talking was he about on site? Well, he was on site. Newman. That's mm, it. That's what yeah. I was trying to. Wayne. Wayne Knight is his name. Wayne Knight. Okay. No, it's not. It's Newman, and it will yeah. always be yeah. Newman. So I want to be that lizard. Anyways, and that's so when I say insane shit like that, it's a compliment. Oh, no, I took <laughs> it as a compliment, baby. If it was anything less, oh, this, ew, oh, it'd be a very different there'd response. A, there would be a look. 
Yeah. Yes, you two can communicate about that now. Okay. All right. So, Miss St. James, tell the listener where they can find you. What are your socials? Where can they follow you at for all yes. of your exploits? Ooh, not the explicitives. No, I'm joking. That doesn't exist. That doesn't. And if you see. Actually, no, because for a lot of years, like, there was, like, this one Uh-oh. adult star that, like, had my name, uh, my drag name. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, name. yeah. So, like, early on in the career, it, there was a couple oh. of gigs that people were like, can we use, like, something, like, is there another way to phrase your names so that when people search, they don't get this other thing? And so, like, now I am primarily what comes up. So, if you see some random white woman, uh, obviously, that's not me. So, but you Some have random hair. naked white lady is not. Shut but, up. <laughs> but you have her hair somewhere, right? No, I bought it. But yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at MSSTJames. You can follow my production company at SOSJPAUS. You could follow my drag family at House of St. James, spelled H A U S O S T J A M E S. It's just spelled out House of St. James. And I think if you want to like cash out or Venmo me, it's just like my drag name, Amber St. James. Decide what it is. Because it is Juneteenth, y'all. Yes. Please reinvest (laughs) in black queer art. Or if you're watching this not on Juneteenth or listening to this not on Juneteenth, you should still be paying me. Because, you know, I exist outside of February. Outside of June, outside of February. Yeah, exactly. I exist 365 and I'm still black. Love that. It's never too late. My pronouns are Venmo and cash app. Exactly. (laughs) My pronouns are, yes, this is the receipt. Yeah. (laughs) Outside of that, just catch me around. I be bebopping everywhere. Truly, I. I'd be doing a lot of shit, so you'll probably see me everywhere. Can I ask for you to make a case to our dear listener for local drag? Oh my god, yes, yes. Please go and support your local drag. Like, I know it's fun to be able to watch Drag Race, but there's nothing like being able to actually go and support your own local art. If you are somebody that believes in artistry of any sort, like you do need to be supporting your own local drag artists and not just the drag queens, every type of artist from drag king to drag monster to drag being to drag (laughs) alien, like everything in between because all of it is so beautiful. All of it is what creates what we see and what so many people are profiting off of. And so it is good to actually go out there and see it for what it is in the true wild, like to see it for the art form that it is because it is so different than what you will see on V. H1 at 8 to 9 p.m. or mm-hmm. on Paramount Plus at 12 o'clock in the morning. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If you can't name, if you can name more drag race queens than you can local queens, like off the top of your head, maybe that's a problem. That's a problem. So fix it, listener. There we challenge go. you. <laughs> I love it. We thank you again for your time because we know it's valuable and we so appreciate you being here with us. Yep. And look forward to hanging again soon. Oh, yes, absolutely. And but Joe, not in February. Oh, you can book me in too. We don't, we try not to. No, you t- may t- have t- other t- people t- who want to pay you. Like, oh, t- the money, the money. Oh, so, t- there t- we t- go. T- 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 All right, Joe, I guess I'll have to see you again, but whatever. (laughs) Or will you? (laughs) No, I adore you. The queerening. Who's the queerest? Yes, the queerening. Yeah, you'll win that. Baby, just get me a deal. No, you're going to fucking win that. Like, we'll talk off, but you're much more plugged in, I think, than I am with queer culture. But it's a whole other conversation. A different way. Well, something dangling. There's something else. Yeah, that's a whole. (laughs) But as always, I do adore you. And I will. Be in your earballs, dear listener, again next week with the lovely Joe. Good night. Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. <laughs>
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 